1: Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here's Shahan J. Haraja and Babak Hayeri. All right, everybody. This is the College Football Survivor Show, where we are all about the race for the college football championship. I'm Babak Hayeri, and I'm joined by the infinitely informed Shahan J. Haraja, national college football writer for CBS Sports. You can find us on X and TikTok. At CFB Survivor Show, where we have video highlights of the show, run polls, and you can send us feedback. You know, we're a podcast first and foremost, so we always appreciate it when well, you take a moment to like, rate, and subscribe to our show wherever you find us. Good reviews are always welcome. We here are on a mission to find the ultimate survivor in the college football playoff race, the champion. Uh, apparently so long as they're not named Florida State or Liberty. But we're locked in on a pair of playoff games coming up here on January 1st. We're now in part two of a series where we're going to go through each of the playoff teams and talk to those who cover them in depth. We kicked off our last show with Alabama and Matt Stahl of com. Today, we're jumping to the Sugar Bowl and the University of Texas. But before we
0: do, I'm hyped. You hyped, Shehan? I'm hyped. I'm hyped. Yeah, I've... Uh... You know, we obviously started our series uh, earlier this week uh, or last week, actually, with talking about Alabama, getting a chance to talk about Michigan. Today, we're going to talk about the University of Texas, uh, a program that obviously I know a little bit. I've been around for a little bit of time, but I'm excited (laughs) to get some outside perspective on it. Absolutely.
1: Well, I think we'll just jump right into this. So. Josh Newman writes for LoneStarLive.com. He also handles SEC, the, a.k.a. the future home of the Longhorns, for GolfLive.com. He's covered the sport across the country. Previously, the future Big 12 replacement Utah Utes for the Salt Lake Tribune and KSL.com, as well as New York City's Big Ten team, Rutgers, along with Monmouth for the Ashbury Park Press, as well as Gannett, New Jersey. All that said, you're native. T- you're originally from New York?
2: Yeah. I'm a native New Yorker, uh, born and bred Long Island out in the suburbs. Uh, still wear that as a, as a badge of honor in spite of, uh, not living in New York for, uh, wow. It's been a long time. Get yourself
1: some coffee, huh?
2: Yeah. I I do pronounce coffee with a W. (laughs) (laughs) Goodness. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate you guys having me really. So Josh,
1: as we kind of head into the sugar bowl, what is the attitude around the program? I know, as you said, uh, Coach Sarkeesian has not had a press conference yet, but you know there's got to be a vibe around that program because they know they're they're in it, they're in the playoff. A lot of it, a lot of interest, a lot of hype. How are they? How does it feel right now at this moment?
2: Yeah, look, I mean, I think there's an air of confidence. Just you know the way they played in the Big 12 Championship game, just jumping all over Oklahoma State from from the opening kickoff, and you know the confidence that Quinn yours, played with, spreading the ball around. The Defense was terrific, so you know that's the last time that we've seen Texas play a football game, and the last time we saw them play a football game, they were outstanding. So you know, as you as you go into this matchup against Washington, you know, I think that I think that Texas does have a bit of an advantage, right? It it, it is two offenses that you know that like to go up and down, and you know they're high octane with two outstanding quarterbacks, with you know with yours for Texas uh, and Michael Penix Jr. for Washington, who obviously finished. Um, number two in the Heisman Trophy voting. I, I, I think if you're Texas, you're feeling really confident about uh, how you played down the stretch, how you played against o- Oklahoma State on December 2nd, and I think you're feeling good about the matchup that you're looking at going into the Sugar Bowl against Washington.
1: Absolutely. Before we dive into those matchups, obviously the portal's been open since that game, and I, I feel like we should at least talk a little bit about, for example, Malik Murphy unsurprisingly, stepped into the portal, and he won't be available for the Sugar Bowl. Are there any other players who might affect potentially depth heading into this game?
2: I think that's the big one. I, I mean, you know they've certainly had a small handful of guys beyond Malik Murphy enter the transfer portal. I, I don't think any of the other guys who have left, you know that's not going to like sap your depth. And even with Malik Murphy, I mean, you know that's a that's a tough one. Um, it was expected. I mean, it's been expected for a while. But, you know, Malik Murphy was a, you know, kind of low-key, underrated, important cog of this Texas team just because when Quinn Yours was out for a couple of games with the shoulder injury, Malik Murphy stepped in and won a couple of games, right? They blew out BYU. Uh, they beat Kansas State in overtime. But you're losing Malik Murphy, but you have Arch Manning, right? O- obviously, Arch Manning is unproven, but obviously a lot is expected of him. He's going to be the backup to Quinn Yours in the Sugar Bowl. Um, the transfer portal is kind of a weird deal now for Texas because you're going to the college football playoff. So you're not, so you're maybe not seeing um, a lot of transfer portal movement because again, you're playing in the college football playoff. If Texas was just playing in a regular average old bowl game, you might see some more roster movement, but uh, you're not seeing that with Texas right now. And just for the people that don't know, you know, with the transfer portal windows, Texas's transfer portal window doesn't close until five days after the last game, whether that be, you know, if they lose in the Sugar Bowl, right, the portal closes for them on January 6th. If they're playing in the title game on January 8th, the portal closes on January 13th. So whenever this Texas season does end, whether it be in the Sugar Bowl or in the CFP National Championship game, when the season does end, you're probably going to see at least a little bit more uh, portal movement very quickly coming out of Austin.
1: Absolutely. You know, it's kind of funny when we talk about Arch Manning, it's like if we see him in the game, it's either gone really well or really badly for various reasons, but um kind of going more to <laughs> more towards this game. You know, I, I know I was reading, by the way, I've enjoyed your articles on this in uh, Lone Star Live, and I recommend folks go and read those, but talking about some of these matchups that caught your eye, I know Michael Penix Jr. versus the Texas secondary. That's something a lot of folks have circled here. Um, how do you think that's going to match up? How how I mean, how do you think that matchup's going to break down ultimately?
2: Yeah, that's you know that one that one struck me as one of the big matchups to watch just because Michael Penix Jr. is at the wheel of the number one passing offense in the country, right? The Washington, uh, you know, the Washington offense, and look, this is coming from somebody who again covered Utah, covered the Pac-12 for a number of years, watched Washington very closely. That Washington offense can really, really go, right? They don't run the ball a ton, but you've got an elite quarterback in Michael Penix. You've got an All American wide receiver in Roma Dunze. You've got, you know, legitimately four or five pass catchers, not just wide receivers, but guys out of the backfield, tight ends, really legit four or five guys that can really catch the ball. So, you know, then you start looking at Texas and look, Derek Williams Jr., right there, you know, their stud free safety. Uh, strong safety, excuse me, Derek Williams Jr. is suspended for the first half of the Sugar Bowl. He got ejected for targeting, I believe, on the, uh, on the second half kickoff of the Big 12 championship game. So you're minus one of your best safeties. And look, other guys are going to have to step in, right? They've been um, experimenting with some things at safety during these early Sugar Bowl practices. So you're looking at, you know, Katan Crawford and Jaron Thompson, uh, Ryan Watts at, at at one cornerback position uh Terrence Brooks at another cornerback position. So you're going to have to mix and match. You're going to have to figure these things out to make up for Derrick Williams uh being out for the first half because if Michael Penix Jr. gets it going, Washington Washington can score. And look there's been some games where Penix has not looked great. Uh the first half of the Utah game in, in Seattle in November. Uh there were you know some very very fleeting moments against USC's porous defense where Penix didn't look super comfortable. You know, I I don't know that there is like a blueprint out there to stop Penix, but it has happened. But you really have to get to him. You know, the guys up front really have to get home.
1: Well, uh, speaking of the guys up front, we, we, you know, Devondre Sweat and Brian Murphy are absolutely two of the guys that seem to have that potential. Um, how much pressure? I mean, because we, we expect pressure from them. I think Washington expects pressure from them. Um, how disruptive of a factor do you you view this matchup to be for the Washington offense? Because causing that uncomfort, that discomfort, making it difficult for you know them to set up the edge. How much you know pressure should we expect to see from Sweat and Murphy coming up that middle?
2: Yeah, I mean, I was looking at Washington's season a little closer a couple of nights ago. I don't know that that Washington has seen a defensive front four like Texas is going to give them right especially on the interior as you said with Tavondre Sweat with Byron Murphy Tavondre Sweat you know look both those guys are are you know top you know top 100 top 125 NFL draft picks at at worst I don't I don't think Washington has seen an interior defensive front like Sweat like Murphy so it's going to be interesting I mean Washington's um Washington's offensive line generally held up pretty well against a Pac-12 schedule uh beat Oregon twice Beat a good Utah team. Uh, got lucky to beat Arizona, which also has a good defensive front. But this is um, <clears throat> this is a bit of this is a bit of a different animal. This is one of the you know top you know defensive fronts in the country with two of the best interior linemen in the country. I, I'm as I'm as interested as anybody to see again how, how this high octane pass heavy Washington offense holds up against that defensive front.
1: Yeah, I was going to say. So, how aggressive are we going to be expecting this? Are they? Or should we expect a lot of opportunities to, uh, you know, get their hands in Penix's face? Maybe even just hit him as he
2: releases the ball. Kind of get psychologically in his head. I think. I think they're going to get there. Um, I, I think that Texas defensive front is going to get home, whether it's Sweat or whether it's Murphy or whether it's guys on the outside. I, I think they're going to get home. The thing with Penix is, look, he, he's not a he's not a running quarterback per se. But he does have legs, and he is capable of you know getting out of the pocket, buying time, tucking it and going. But you know, to answer the question, like yes, I I, I think that if you're looking at the matchup up front, I think Texas's defense does have the advantage. And yeah, I think I think there's going to be moments certainly where you know Devondre Sweat overwhelms you know a, a left guard or a right guard, you know, and they're they're going to get to Penix, and then it becomes a matter of. Does Penix have the wherewithal? Does he buy himself more time and get out of the pocket and try to make something happen?
0: You know, obviously, so much of the focus is going to be on the defense going against this Washington offense. But, you know, when you look at this Texas offense, uh, you know, so much is made of the playmaker. So much is made of the explosiveness. But, you know, I, I think that... Quinn Ewers is kind of seen as a steadying force on this Texas team, but it is, it has been up and down, especially as he's dealt with some injuries. I mean, what do you kind of expect for him going against a different type of defense than what he's maybe used to playing against in the big 12, just in terms of both structure and scheme?
2: Yeah, this is a, you know, that's a good question. Again, like looking closer at Washington there, they are unbeaten 13 and zero, Pac 12 champion, obviously not to take, Anything away from Washington, but there were a lot of games where they won in spite of that defense. They they won games where Penix was just out dueling the other quarterback. You know, look, they they really flirted with disaster against Arizona. Uh, they needed a a fourth quarter pick six. Look, Arizona State was driving at Washington to take a two-score lead. A pick six changed that. They win that game 15-7. That defense gave up, uh, I believe, 28 in the first half to a Utah team that was decimated by injury by the time Thanksgiving or so rolled around. USC ran all over them. Uh, Stanford, which was kind of uh, a listless operation for much of the season, I believe Stanford put like 42 points on them. So what I'm getting at here is the, the, the Texas offense, and specifically yours, there's going to be plenty of opportunities you know, along the outside for guys like Adonai Mitchell we're going to assume for a second uh, that Xavier Worthy does play after the ankle injury in the Big 12 championship game. Jatavian Sanders is a big physical pass-catching option at tight end. I really think that yours is going to have a, quite frankly, a gigantic day because this, you know, this season the way it's played out, and yes, Shahan, I agree with you. Yours has been a bit up and down. You had the injury; things did not go like super according to plan for yours. But this matchup very drastically goes in favor of Queen yours just based on the resumes and what we've seen. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities to throw the ball, especially down the field for that Texas offense.
1: Yeah. I know you've commented in your own writing about, you know, looking at the corners, Jabbar Mohammed and Elijah Jackson for the Huskies, as well as strong safety, Dominic Campton They've started all 13 games, but, as a defense that's not been their strength. Um so you know on the other uh on the other side of the offense how do you think the Texas rushing game do you think they'll be able to get m- also to kind of get that rolling in order to open up uh, you know more of a passing opportunity and 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 potentially even get some more runs on the Washington uh, front seven.
2: Yeah, no that's a good question. Um you know uh Texas's run game has obviously looked different right with Jonathan Brooks now out for the year with the knee injury, you know C CB- CJ Baxter has definitely flashed. Definitely done some things. You know they didn't run the ball a ton against Oklahoma State. So so that's an interesting question. That's an interesting notion. Uh, you know can can Texas run the ball effectively enough to open up some play action, open up some passing opportunities? That's a kind of an underlying storyline, at least to me, is what does the Texas run game look like? Can they can they do enough there to? Um, to make something happen with the pass. The Washington defensive front, it's pretty it's pretty stout. I mean, the times that I saw Washington, again, it's the secondary that's been kind of porous for Washington, but they're their guys up front, you know, are legit. So, you know, can CJ Baxter um can CJ Baxter set a tone? Do they go to CJ Baxter early? Do they not let yours just sling it all sling it all over the place early in the first quarter? Again, that's, you know, at least to me, again, that's a bit of an underlying storyline. What does your running game look like? Uh, especially early if you're Texas.
0: Yeah, I, I'm curious too. Um, you know, Washington, you you got a chance to see them earlier this year play against Utah, and, um, you know, it's, it's such a unique kind of challenge that Utah presents from a physicality perspective. How do you think that Texas is going to be able to hang from a physicality perspective, and is this a situation where you feel like, especially with those guys up front, uh, that this might be a battle that Texas is able to win?
2: Yeah, I think I think up front, you know, and you make a good point, right? Like Utah is built for you know forever for years and years on on you know on physicality and winning the battle up front on both lines. Um, and I don't know that Utah won that battle up front. I mean, they certainly didn't in the second half, right? You know, after a pretty productive first half, Washington kind of walked all over them in the second half. I do think that there's enough for Texas up front offensively to at least give yours, you know three and a half seconds to make a decision and to throw the ball. I certainly don't think that Washington up front is going to like manhandle Texas. I think that Washington probably has a bit of an advantage defensively up front. But again, I I do think there's enough for Texas where, you know, that yours is going to mostly stay upright and, and, and mostly again, not completely, but mostly have enough time to make a decision.
1: So one of the things that we know the Longhorns have had trouble with for all season has been their red zone offensive conversion rate. I think right now they're 119th in the nation still. Um, (laughs) It's only a few weeks between people always act like, oh, well, they're getting ready for the bowl season. They can focus entirely in Washington, but it's still only like a couple of weeks to fix something that the entire season hasn't entirely fixed. Can they, what changes,
2: what hope do we see heading into this game with the Huskies? You know, it's interesting. I mean, my first game covering Texas was the Oklahoma State game. There ser- there certainly weren't any issues on offense, uh, you know, at Jerry World against Oklahoma State. I mean, look, I, I think at this point in-, in the season, look, we're four months into this thing. We're 13 games into it. I think, you know, you're, you mostly are what you are at this point, and Texas has been, as you alluded to, a bad red zone team. I don't know that you can turn these things around in – Again, as you alluded to, right, two, two and a half, three weeks of bowl prep. I, I mean, I think it's about execution, right? You know, you're inside the 20, but even more specifically, I mean, you're inside the five, you're inside the seven. It's about execution and proper play calling. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's unfair to say that Texas is a bad red zone team. And, you know, generally speaking, I don't know that you're just magically fixing that here within, you know, inside one month here of bowl prep.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm curious too, right? Uh, You look at a matchup like this, what kind of game script, I guess, do you think that Tex would be more comfortable with? Do you think that they're built more to win in a shootout? Do you think that they're better to kind of keep things under control? I mean, obviously, again, these are two explosive offenses that have put up a lot of points, but do you kind of have a feel of how the coaching staff would want this game to go?
2: I mean, my instinct just in my limited time here covering Texas and just, you know, reading and and analyzing, it feels to me like Texas is is comfortable and built to win in a shootout, you know, for all the reasons that I've mentioned, right? You know, the high-end quarterback and receiving options and the pass-catching tight end, (coughs) excuse me, and the very capable rushing attack. And yeah, I think they're comfortable if this turns into a situation where you're going, you know, shot for shot, score to score with you know, with Michael Penix and the Washington offense, if it goes shot for shot, touchdown for touchdown, if it it turns out to be a high scoring game, I trust Texas's defense a little bit more than Washington's defense. I I, I trust Texas's defense will make a play before Washington's. And again, you know, Washington gave up all the points to USC and all the points in the first half to a Utah team that was again, decimated. Uh, Stanford ran all over Washington's defense. Um, and they, again, they were winning 13 games largely in spite of of their own defense. So yeah, you know, this Texas outfit, both sides of the ball, it just strikes me as, yeah, they're comfortable scoring points and they're probably comfortable giving up points. But when it comes time for somebody, anybody to make a stop, I think Texas is a little better equipped. They've shown themselves a little bit better defensively over the course of, of, of three months, four months than Washington has.
1: It's interesting to hear you say that because one of my thoughts was, you know, how much of this is going to fall on the shoulders of Queen Ewers um, in order to to get this win? Um, because certainly we've talked about it, you know, on the others in the other game, Jalen Milrow it just is kind of in the same zone where um, a potentially great performance would set up the Heisman talk for next season because it seems like they're just getting ready. They're biding their time, um, you know, and that kind of goes towards, you know, you've talked about what would what would lead to Texas winning this particular matchup. In your opinion, if Texas were to end up losing the Sugar Bowl, where where do you think the problems will have
2: arisen? Oh, that's a loaded question. Um uh, probably defensively, because again, if if Michael Penix gets it going and the offensive line for Washington is standing up and 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 and, and just giving Penix all the time in the world, there's a lot of options on on, on the outside, um, and also a tight end for Washington. Like there there's absolutely there's absolutely a a world where Penix throws for like 380 and four touchdowns, and Washington wins this game—you know, a game being played into the 40s. I, I mean, that's entirely possible. So, I—I I, I don't have that many concerns. Again, assuming Xavier Worthy plays coming off the ankle injury, I don't think I have many concerns about Texas's offense. I—I I, I think they're going to score points. I think the problem is defensively. Like again, with Derek Williams out for the first half, if Penix is exploiting that if Roma Dunze gets you know really gets going, he's capable of eight, ten, twelve catches going all over that Texas secondary. I don't think the problem is gonna be with the Texas offense. I think the Texas defense is, you know, not that not that it is susceptible to giving up a ton of points or a ton of plays. I just think you're playing a very elite offense with a very elite quarterback in Penix, who again is capable of of throwing it all over the Superdome.
0: Yeah, and I'm I'm curious too if Texas wins this game, I mean, how do you like them in a potential matchup against either Alabama once again, who, of course, they've, they beat in the past, but is a different team now, or a Michigan team that really hasn't had very many flaws this year? Yeah, I,
2: I don't know that I like Texas in either matchup, but like just in the moment here, I think I probably like them better against Michigan if Texas can set the tone. Like Those two teams want to do two different things. Like Texas wants to go, go, go. And Michigan wants to run the ball down your throat and eat eat up the clock and play defense. Alabama was a different team after that loss to Texas on September 9th. And I think a lot of people were writing off, you know, Saban and this, you know, never ending era of success under Nick Saban. And we see how that worked out, right. They survived a few games, right. They survived, you know, the game at Texas A&M, a couple of others they really really beat up Georgia and Alabama is playing at a much different level now than what they showed against Texas back in September if Texas wins this game i probably i'd probably give them a better chance to beat Michigan than i would against Alabama man i'd like to see Texas Alabama you know round 2 all this time later you know with that first game it kind of as the backdrop of course if it's Texas Alabama we're all, you know we're all going to be um, talking about that first game, dissecting that first game, I would really, as, as just as a fan of the sport, not even as a journalist, but like as a fan of the sport, I would like to see Texas Alabama go at it again.
1: Absolutely. You know, on kind of a lighter note, do you think the Texas fans are going to figure out a way to boo Commissioner Brett Yormark at the Sugar Bowl again somehow?
2: Yeah. Oh man, that was that was really that you know that was really something. I mean, I you know my first. My first meeting, so to speak, with like Utah fans was like something like very benign and like not a big deal. But like my first impression of Texas fans was them booing Brett Yormark like into the ground at AT AT&T Stadium. I don't know how that came off on TV, but like at ground level, like at Jerry World, it was loud. They were booing him. So um, I appreciate the passion of of college football fans. Uh, Texas fans certainly show the passion. Uh, in letting Brett Yormark know how they felt about him. Yeah, you know, it's going to be such a, a good
0: playoff heading forward. What is the thing that you're most excited to watch when it comes to this Texas team? Uh, just heading into this final final stage. Obviously, so many playmakers, uh, so many NFL talents potentially, but, but
2: what's the biggest thing that you're going to be keeping an eye on? I'm looking forward to watching uh, Quinn yours again. You know, again, the The Big Twelve Championship game for me that was a lot of first impressions, right? And the first impression of yours was just this very like cerebral, confident football player who could do anything on a football field. And you know, again with the with the injury, and I know that it's been sort of up and down, but the you know the time that I saw him, he was electric. So this is the biggest stage that yours has ever played on. Obviously, you know, a, a national semifinal it's the sugar bowl and all the pageantry and the history that comes along with that. You're playing for a spot in the national championship game. And for yours, that means, you know, not going home, but you know, you're playing for the natty in your home state, right? You know, the game would be in Houston. So I'm curious to see whether or not yours can, um, can meet the moment, right? Because so much has been expected of him going back to high school at South Lake Carroll. And so much has been expected of him, you know, coming home, so to speak, from Ohio State. You're the pride of Texas. You're the quarterback at the University of Texas. I'm really curious to see if, if Quinn Yours can, you know, can meet the moment in the biggest stage that he's seen. I have to push back a little bit. I mean, he did play in the Class 6A
0: state championship game against Kid Klubnick and, and Austin Westlake. That, that's a pretty big
2: stage. I'm slowly, of course, I know about Friday Night Lights and I'm not like super well versed <laughs> in Texas high school football, but I am <laughs> slowly learning what the 6A uh, state championship means. I apologize to anybody <laughs> from Texas. I did not mean to denigrate Texas high school football. That is not my intention. Okay.
0: Hey, well, well, well if, if you are up here uh, next year, I, I would advise you try to make it up to these, uh, these state title games. It is an experience unlike any other. Yeah, look, look, this is not a
2: topic <laughs> for now, but I just found out last week there is six man football at the lowest levels yep. or, or the smallest yep. school oh, yeah. that was electric. Yep. I was watching one of the, one of the six man finals on the stream. I was fascinated, fascinated.
1: Oh, six man football is a delight. Oh. Uh, it's great to watch. <laughs> so good. In,
2: yeah. yeah. Shout out <laughs> to
0: my former employers, the Dave Campbell's Texas football. If you, if you, you want to learn anything more about that, dot it's, it's a great website, but yeah, no, you got to make it up here. If, if you get the chance next year,
2: I will, I will for sure.
1: You know, Josh, one last question I have for you. It's gonna obviously be you've talked about the passion of the Longhorns fan base, which you've now seen in full force. So the Sugar Bowl feels like it's gonna be a home game for the Longhorns. I mean, is by all indications, do you think that's what it's gonna be like? It's gonna be probably more hostile. Because Washington, I mean, they're they've been a good program. They've made the culture ball playoff before. They're certainly one of the the powers historically of the Pac-10 and the later Pac-Twelve, after you know, USC and some of the others and Oregon's ascendancy. But I'm not sure they're going to travel as well with this one. I think they're maybe saving for that potential NRG date. And even then, good luck outbidding Texas fans when they get really into it, right? So, I mean, how much of an environment advantage do you think the Longhorns are going to have?
2: Yeah, I sort of touched this, uh, touched on this in a story earlier this week. I mean, I'm working on the assumption that this is, it's going to be a quasi-home game for Texas just because, you know, um, from Austin, really from anywhere in Texas, like, you can drive to New Orleans. What do we... 500 plus miles is probably like seven and a half seven and a half or eight hours so if you're a texas fan you can drive uh i don't know if you boys have been to seattle ever but like it that's a cross-country flight from seattle to new orleans uh ticket prices are very expensive i know that alaska airlines added some flights for fans to go to new orleans those went quickly i haven't checked in about a week but the last time i checked seattle to new orleans on like Delta it was like twenty three hundred dollars. So it's not exactly, you know, cost effective for Washington fans to to travel. So yeah, I you know, look, sixty eight thousand people in the Superdome. I I think we're looking at a very pro Texas sugar bowl here, coming.
1: One thing I've learned from Shahan is, you, you know, Texans love, I mean, they'll love it to drive, but they're used to those long drives because everything is in Texas is far away. Like, I grew up in California, right? right? But you usually just stayed in Southern California or Northern California. And then right. occasionally you do that long drive. And even then, Northern California is only halfway up the state, really, if we're being honest. But like, yeah, no, when I talk to Shehan, he's like, yeah, I had to drive for five hours to get to da da da
0: da.
2: And I'm like, what? why? Uh, wow. Well.
0: When I was a freshman in high school, we did a like a band trip to to New York at the time, and so my parents and I we stayed because it was spring break, and we did just like a driving trip of the Northeast. We went through like six states in like two and a half hours. I'm like, this is like a, oh, yeah. this is a commute. This is uh, how much I have to drive to get to it's work. Amazing.
2: Oh man, you can go from I'm just you can go from Maryland north to Delaware to New Jersey probably into pennsylvania and also into new york in a day yep. oh yeah oh easy, easy easy half a day easy yeah, <laughs> yeah. So oh, shout man. out the northeast it, man. i still love it. it
0: it is a different world you got to drive 10 hours uh, to get from dallas to el paso and you're still in texas at that point
2: <laughs> <laughs> no no you're scaring me man i'm about to move to austin <laughs> don't scare me okay <laughs> we got good flights out of here scare too. Me. don't worry <laughs> Okay, done deal. <laughs> for <Don't>
1: sure. Deal. <laughs> Josh, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a great conversation about, about the the Sugar Bowl and Texas Longhorns. Really appreciate you guys having me. Thank you. Absolutely. For those of you who are listening, again, Josh writes for LoneStarLive.com, also writes for GolfLive.com. He's covered sports around the country, as you can tell. Um, find him there. Find his writing there. And, of course, you can also find him over on X at uh, – see here, josh it's josh newman uh yeah it's joshua underscore newman so there you go uh Correct. find him yeah. over there like that sorry i had your i had your twitter open and i was actually like oh crap i actually I just, <laughs> just rang josh newman in there you're all good well thanks so much man talk
2: to you later all right man thanks boys
1: all right we'll come back with just kind of our own thoughts on this what we think about texas after having a nice conversation with josh here on the college football survivor show The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. So Shahan, you know, you're more of the tech expert than I am 100%. So I want to think I want to listen to your impressions first, because you come at this with a deep knowledge of the Longhorns and and just a lot of the football that goes on. Um, What what thoughts came to your mind after talking with Josh about this?
0: Well, Josh was such a great guest because obviously, you know, he's getting a chance to be around Texas and be involved with that staff uh, as a college reporter down for for Gulf Live and Lone Star Live. But uh, he also has so much knowledge and backing in the Pac-12. He's kind of like the perfect guest in some ways to to talk about this Texas versus Washington matchup because he's gotten a chance to watch both of them this year. You know, for me, I think what was most interesting was – kind of his assertion that Quinn Ewers might have a huge day in this game and uh you know Quinn again has had some huge games this year the Alabama game the game against Oklahoma State in the Big 12 title game these were two of the biggest games that any quarterback has had this year but like at the same time right there's been clunkers there's been moments he struggled at times with his deep ball and I do like, I mean, you mentioned Jabbar Muhammad. He's a great player in that Washington secondary. It was interesting to me that Josh kind of felt like, no, I I feel like with Texas weapons, they have a chance to win uh, pretty consistently and convincingly that passing matchup.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It it feels like he's expecting a firefight, which, I mean, to be fair, a lot of folks are. And really what it's going to come down to is that extra oomph that comes from that Texas defense, and especially um, who we see in that line that will disrupt uh, enough of the Washington offense to, you know, keep them maybe cause a turnover or, a, or just a, you know, a punt or two, and that could be the difference. And it's certainly not infeasible. That push that we're going to see from Devontae Sweat and, you know, and Brian Murphy is going to be, I think that's going to be fascinating to watch and how, to be fair, Oregon's tried this a couple of times, you know, and that was whatever, everyone, everyone went into the Pac-12 title game thinking like, well, you know, they got him once, but it was in Husky Stadium. And just watch, you put him on a neutral field, you're gonna see, you know, that that Dan Lanning's gonna to cook up an aggressive off me defense, it's gonna disrupt Washington. And boy, were we wrong there. So to be fair, I think the talent level of Texas is an order of magnitude above that. They've got those guys who are probably the best at their position in the country. Um, easily the best at their <laughs> at their position in the country. So uh, I'm not sure. We'll see. But again. It's that—that's the mystery of Washington. They just—they have that X factor, that ability to define wins. I don't know. Like, do they? Did they score a Did they roll a natural twenty in luck or something? To use a real nerd uh, techno- term there, but uh, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I can't—I can't put my finger on it. I don't know why Washington has the fact that Washington is even here is it relies on just so many interesting factors. But when you look at the, the the sheer reality and talent of what's on the other side of the ball with what's Texas, both offense and defense, it seems like they should win. But I've said that, you know, we've said that a couple of times before and Washington manages to to pull it off. So that to me is an interesting question. That's why I was really curious what was going to be the factor in uh, a Washington win and a Texas loss. And he thought, again, it was, can the defense just not keep up?
0: Well, and I think the other parts that as you know, somebody again, who, who spent a lot of time around Utah that I was interested to see is how he thought that Washington would hold up physically against the Texas front, right? Cause Texas from a physicality perspective, especially on defense, they are something special with Devondre Sweat, Byron Murphy, two guys we mentioned a whole lot uh, over the course of this year, but two of the best players in the entire country and the two best de- defensive interior players, uh, you know, it's interesting to me that, uh, that Josh kind of feels like maybe Washington's going to win that battle. Obviously, look, when you talk about talent, there's no question Texas has more talent from a running back perspective. But we saw Dylan Johnson over the course of this season as well come along and put together some really physical yards down the stretch. He had 100 yards in both Oregon games, which which was really big for this team. I'm curious how that kind of translates to playing against an A a Washington front that obviously has uh, has been playing really well you know the thing that you have to say about Texas is that one they've played some of the best running backs in the country I mean Todd Brooks the number four rusher in the country uh Ollie Gordon the number one back in the country but neither of those offensive fronts are as good as what Washington has now Dylan Johnson isn't as good as those players but how much of an advantage does that give them? I expect Texas, don't get me wrong, they're going to win the rushing battle. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But the question is, is it by a little or is it by a lot? Because if Texas is able to run all over this team and Washington's averaging two yards per carry, that changes things quite a bit. It's such a fascinating matchup. I mean, this is, this is such a great game to me. One of the better playoff matches that I think we've had in a long time.
1: I agree. I mean, both on the Washington side of the ball, the strategy that Ryan Grubb is going to implement on his offense. I'm absolutely curious to see what he does, but equally with coach Sarkisian, he himself is a great and smart offensive play caller ever since, you know, I remember when he got his start with uh, Norm Chow under Pete Carroll, along with, you know, Lane Kiffin, who's oftentimes compared in some ways to their, their offensive styles. I'm curious to see Sark's approach to getting matchups and using you know lateral movement, stretches, misdirection, formations—the whole shebang—to kind of get his get his players into the right positions and the right matchups that allow Texas to to put up some numbers. I, I'm absolutely looking forward to this game um, and how these two offenses square off. I mean, it is funny because again, we w- that's a problem. This is the overshadow of the defense with Texas; it doesn't quite because we know who they have on the defense. But with Washington, their defense, I think, is probably the most unsung unit. Um, potentially in all four playoff teams. I think of all the four playoff teams, that defense is the one that gets the most ignored.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a great matchup. I mean, this is is obviously two big-time teams, two teams that we both think, I I believe, have a chance to win the national championship if some things break right for them. Uh, It was interesting to me, I will say, that Josh also did feel like Texas wasn't a great matchup for either Alabama or Michigan. You know, I've definitely felt, Differently than that. I I definitely felt like if if Texas is able to win this game, that they have a good shot against those other two teams. But I don't know, maybe we need to reevaluate a little bit. Uh, And and certainly, you know, go listen to last week's podcast. uh, You know, when it comes to to Alabama and Michigan, we went deep on them as well. So We're going to have an opportunity to really think things through later on this week. We're going to have a special bonus podcast that will preview both these games from just our perspective, kind of going through what we know. So a lot still left to figure out, but I'm excited.
1: Me too. And uh, can't wait to can't wait to sort out more of this. Well, I'm going to take this moment to thank all of you who listen to us. We always appreciate having you. As part of, our, part of our team. And I want to thank our producer, Joey Alliberty. Um, Be sure if you get a chance to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can, of course, find us on X and TikTok at CFB Survivor Show, where you can be, learn even more about us. He's Shahan Jayaraja. You can find his work at CBSSports.com and on X at Shahan Jayaraja. I'm Bob Ekaieri. You can find me uh, in the phone book. Also, as a part of <laughs> at Reddit CFB on the Twitters. Take care, everybody. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.